0: Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one uh, cavern-filled minute at a time.
1: Cavern? Oh, I guess Isengard, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm Norman Mitchell.
1: <laughs> I'm Cassandra Fredrickson.
0: And joining us again this week is Nathaniel Fuller from the Gamer's Lounge podcast. Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 115, which starts with Boromir uh, handing Frodo back the ring and saying, As you wish, and ends with kind of a shot of the winds blowing around the Passive of And yeah. with a squinty-eyed Orlando Bloom. We, yeah, we see
1: them uh, on the... Like that path. Yeah, the little ledge. The little cliffside.
0: In fake snow this time.
1: Well, yeah. That'd be really dangerous. Yes.
0: <laughs> this is actually a miniature that they're kind of they're composited into for the wide shots. Oh, nice. So the passive characters itself is a miniature. It's a 14th scale miniature.
1: So it's not very mini.
0: So it's yeah, not it's like, very mini. Which I'm sure is still quite big.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> like most of their miniatures, it's still kind of big. Yeah. The miniatures uh, featurette on the DVDs is one of my favorites to always go back through because it's fun to see them not composited and just see them next to a normal-sized human being. And, like they put a ton of detail on that thing; is huge for most yeah. of them.
0: Miniatures, the, the yeah. or
2: yeah. even stuff that's barely in the movie. So, like in the uh, Mirror of Galadriel stuff, where they have the sort of like. Broken down, looking shire mill thing that's there for half a second. They yeah, showed the that industrialized in shire. You know, like someone spent a ton of time to build this thing that's on screen for maybe three or four seconds. Yeah. it's insane. Like how well, much? It's like
0: the the rubber Bilbo mask is on screen for less than a
2: second. Right, and they spent months putting it together.
1: God, that thing is so freaky.
2: <laughs> maybe it is That's freaky. why it only showed up for a few seconds because they're oh. like, uh, never mind.
0: <laughs> right. So, uh, watching the move this minute, this time I noticed that there is a there's a small editing uh, there's continuity error ish, like a little editing flub in the way that Aragorn is holding his sword. Right. In one moment he's holding it in his left hand, kind of uh, reverse grip style. he's going to pull it out just purely on the left,
1: which doesn't seem efficient. Like I think um, you're you're just as likely. Well, with Frodo to in like front of him, like... it
0: actually makes more sense. Oh, that's true. To do it that way because then he's not throwing frodo out of the way when he draws the sword across his body he's not like elbowing frodo in the head
2: that's true
0: because the next time we see when we see him holding that sword in the very next moment he's holding it with both hands mm-hmm. and lets go of the grip
2: i would not be surprised if the close-up shot of his hand is actually like a pickup shot later that's like oh wouldn't it be cool to have this moment to throw it probably
0: is it. yeah that makes sense because, because you don't see
2: the... anything around it context-wise really so it would be an easy thing to pick up if you didn't have it on the day.
0: Yeah, because it's a, and that's the kind of thing they tend to use pickups for the most. Yeah. Is like little, little shots like that, that they're like, oh, this needs to go here. We, we missed something.
2: It's a little shot as far as that goes, but I think it's a really big one as far as just the bookend to this moment of like, oh, this really was as dangerous as maybe I thought it was. It just puts yeah. that little punctuation on the end of it. So, like, even Aragorn was like, oh crap, what's going to happen? You know? Right.
0: Yeah, because it puts Boromir's like awkward approach in context when the camera swings around and we see that Aragorn's holding his sword.
1: Yeah, he kind of looks, he has that pause and he looks down.
0: And we're and not sure he... if he's looking at Frodo or if he's looking at something else.
1: Right. And then he kind of awkwardly smiles and ruffles Frodo's hair to diffuse the tension. Good boy, yeah. Frodo. Right.
0: <laughs> Sorry, boy. It's a very condescending tussle. Mm-hmm. Not the same way Would he seems like to handle Merry and Pippin.
1: A Frodo treat. Because
0: <laughs> it, it's not the same way we just saw him, like,
1: playing ring, with Merry and yeah. Pippin.
0: Like, his he's very, uh, he's distant with Frodo because, you know, he's afraid of the ring, too. Right. So I think that there's there's all that context added to these relationships going forward that's really important in that scene,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then we get we go from that uh, that moment directly into more of some of my favorite special effects in this movie, which is all the really close angles mm-hmm. and turns to the caverns in Isengard, mm-hmm. uh, which are always really cool and they remind me of like the Beetlejuice opening, or like the opening of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. All the like uh, the sweeping sweepers, shots yeah. around like the landscape, like that,
2: this especially with think, like the birds flying. Right. Yeah, this is probably the last special effects shot that they did, both just filming and putting it into the edit. Yeah, they had to get the models back out in order to do this. And yeah, I can't was... remember how many I've read somewhere how many it's actually put together, how many shots of the different pieces, but you could probably almost tell if you really look at it. I think it's like five or six. There's a layer. (laughs) Right.
0: I think it's like five or six. In the commentary, uh, Barry Osborne, in the production commentary, Barry Osborne, is like, that's a different set. That's a different set. That's a different set. And here we are. So like, he points them out. What
1: a mystical nightmare, dude. Like, oh Yeah. Isengard's in storage, actually. I,
0: <laughs> I know. Peter Jackson, very late in filming, is just like, So, you guys need to set Isengard back up? And people are like, That model is like a football field. I know. Like, <laughs> come on.
1: Can't we just do part of it? And he's like, No.
0: No. Well, I need like at least half of it. Like, <laughs> I don't need the tower, but I need like a bunch of the underground stuff. So, right. you guys, you know go take care of that for me set it up so we can get this done and mm-hmm. I'll fly I'll fly Christopher Lee back out for this one like 30 second scene
2: well, I think this is a good example from this movie of why Lord of the Rings holds up visually so much better than what the Hobbit movies will is because they did a much better job of mixing different techniques all together to get the best result so in this you have like miniatures you have a little bit of cg i'm sure like the crows are then you have a bunch of compositing of putting all the orcs in different places and then settlement at the end all on like a blue screen with a couple bits around them just to make it mesh and it's all taking all the different pieces you can get in the best ways that you can and mushing them together and getting something that looks really great at the end and does not look plastic cg
0: yeah because this it doesn't look tacky it doesn't really look fake and that's because a lot of these miniatures are built out of like the material the full size thing would be built out of right like these are real wood and it's like a a real like mill wheel turning like a lot of this stuff is practical and actually works Mm -hmm. so that helps make it look real even on a small scale yeah
2: Yeah. i mean you can still sort of see the seams if you're really looking at it but it's the same kind of uh vibe you get from going to old like Ray Harryhausen stop motion stuff where, you know, it's fake, you know, what you're looking at does not look, you know, photo real at all, but it has a charm to it and it has an actual, you know, reality and gravity to it because it's actual real objects versus just something flying around a computer, which can be done really well, but it's much harder to get that sort of same feeling of reality out of it. So even if the shot doesn't look perfect, it still feels really good because it's made out of real things. Yeah,
0: like I've always been really impressed at how well, like, the how good, like, the moth from a while ago and, like, the birds here look despite Mm -hmm. being CG objects. They, they, uh, they did a really good job on, like, those two things in particular. Also,
1: I think because they're constantly moving and you don't, you don't settle on them for any length of time.
0: Yeah. Because the eagle looks fake because we're focusing on it.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why they used a real moth is because. Like once you focus on something CG, you can immediately tell that it's not real. CG does
2: best as being part of something, not the entirety of it. Mm -hmm. So you have that reference thing to ground it and to have also just visually when they're making it, a reference to be like, oh, we have to make it look good with this other thing that we know is real. But if it's all fake, then you don't have that thing to kind of match. And so a lot of times it just doesn't end up looking as, you know, good. It can still be really detailed and technically correct or even, but there's just something about it that to the human eye just looks a little bit off.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, when we get to Two Towers, we get to the greatest triumph of special effects
2: in these movies, which is Gollum. Oh, yeah. And if you compare Gollum from Two Towers to Gollum from Return of the King, he is so much better in Return of the King even just that little bit of time in between movies. You don't see it as much with the extended editions because they actually went back and sort of polished him a bit more there from what they learned going forward into Return of the King. But so to- the original version of him looks really, really great, but then you saw him like Return of the King a lot of the more – close-ups look a lot better just with the way they were able to do the skins and stuff just because they learned so much by having to do so much in Two Towers and then rolling on to the next one. They're yeah. able to do it for the next movie where they couldn't quite fit it into the previous one because they had the extra, you know, year to get that one done.
0: Yeah, because the, the look of Gollum definitely changes just bet- between Fellowship when we just get glimpses of him to what he looks like in Two Towers as well. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, they, well, they had not even finished
0: a design at that point. Yeah, that's why... So like- yeah, so they, they didn't want to show anything that they didn't
2: have to.
1: Right, just to fingers establish him. and eyes yeah. and weird, like, away shots.
2: Yeah. Like, they were well into the post-production of Two Tower before they finalized the actual look of what uh, Gollum would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had a fairly close, close stuff before, but a lot of the little stuff. details just kind of didn't quite finalize and gel until then.
0: Yeah. This, the special effects in this movie really do hold up because they just spent so much time making sure that all their practical effects looked as real and authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. and they did such a good job matching their CG to the environments that they were in
1: right.
0: It, all of this movie is a labor of love, not just like oh, yeah, the, the acting or like the sound, the special effects, every piece of it, if if even one piece wouldn't wouldn't have been paid so much close detail to everything else would have kind of
2: fallen apart
1: yeah nobody's phoning it in
0: yeah
2: like nobody
1: everyone's bringing their a-game and you can tell yes
2: yeah i want to go backwards a little bit for a moment because when i was uh, watching these minutes again to prepare for coming on here maybe it's because i'm reading it the book again at the moment uh but when boramir says as you wish princess bride was the first thing that popped into my head <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: yeah, me too. But
2: then I actually looked up. He says that in the book, "As you wish, I care not," is an actual Boromir line from Lord of the Rings. So, huh.
0: I know they did such a good job, like incorporating as many book authentic lines as they could. So,
2: my mind immediately went off. Like, wait, what does Princess Bride look like? Where Boromir is Wesley? That's weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just uh, Sean yeah. Bean as the Dread Pirate. Sean Robert. Bean I in the black like a black mask. Yeah,
2: it might work. Maybe. I hey, feel man. like that's a I lot mean, less. Then
0: is is Viggo an
2: ego? Um, there we go. We'll recast Princess Bride all with actors from the Lord of the Rings movies. From Lord of
1: the Rings, <laughs>
0: yeah. Viggo is an ego. You just you, John Rhys Davies gets to be Fezzik.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: You know,
2: but he he's can a big actually man. Anyway. Big then. <laughs> yeah. Although you can't beat Andre the Giant. He's the, my favorite part of that movie. Yeah.
0: Oh, mine too. Oh. No, Fezzik and Inigo yeah. are, the, are the best. If you've never movie.
2: read the novel for Princess Bride, you should totally read it because it is so bizarre. There's some stuff that's I just great I told that for the movie that they adapted it, but it's got, you know how the movie's framed where it's Peter Falk, the grandfather, telling the story, and that's how they sort of framed the movie. That sort of device right. in a different way exists in the book because the book is sort of told like, there's a bunch of, it's the abridged version of, a translation of a fake country's big epic tale that he's just telling the good parts that his father told him when he was a kid and he was sick, which he tells you this in the the book. So that's where the kind of device for the movie came from. But the book actually presents it as all these different interstitial parts where he's talking about, yeah, this next chapter had all this boring stuff and it did this, 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 and then I cut it out. But it's a very much darker story in the book than the movie was it's a lot more cheery for the movie yeah
1: yeah i'm interested in because um, there's a princess bride minute now and i i'm pretty sure that they have both read the book so it'll be interesting listening to them compare the movie because the movie is i, so I want to be on that podcast <laughs> the movie's so lighthearted, and the book i've read a bit of the book um but
2: there are so many little things that they pull directly from the book, like dialogue-wise or just scene-wise. So when Wesley climbs the cliffs and they have the big sword fight, that's almost directly from the book. Almost word See, for that's word, my even favorite line for moment. The whole movie moment. That's there. why they're saying all the different like types of defenses. Or hey, so you're using this against me? That's from the book. They don't actually say it. It's in the paragraphs in between describing the fight. So that's why they sort of adapted it into dialogue for the movie. That's, mm.
0: Yeah, my favorite line in the whole movie is there when uh, Indigo Montoya says to him, "You know, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to, I hate kill, to kill you. You. Yeah. you seem a decent fellow. I, I hate, hate to die." It. That's my favorite exchange in the whole movie.
2: <laughs> I can still quote that movie, and I haven't watched it in a while, but I can quote almost everything from that movie.
0: Oh man, the whole iocane powder thing thing is <laughs> yes. so good. I can I have. I can never remember the name of the guy that plays Vasili. Uh,
2: uh, Wallace Shawn.
0: Is that what you're talking about? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah there we He's, go. I can never remember that actor. Yeah, <laughs> that whole little battle of wits is also almost directly from the book. Same with the sort of fight with uh, Andre the Giant is almost directly from the book. Just little changes there. But it's like, okay, I could tell if somebody had read this before and then watched the Princess Bride movie, they'd be like,
1: yeah, I know that part. Mm-hmm.
2: That's awesome. I know, this is such a great work of adaptation.
1: I would be, I'd be interested, like, I know that Tolkien is not around when they made this movie, but I would be really fascinated to, because I'm pretty sure the guy that wrote Princess Bride worked on the movie. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay. Part. Yeah. Um, and I know that, like, one of my favorite books, um, like Holes, like Louis are worked on the screenplay yeah. so i would be interested to see like i don't know like the tolkien edit you know what i mean like if tolkien were around when they were making this movie how, what changes would, they would he end?
2: make i don't know because i don't know that tolkien is really the type of person who would be into movie adaptation because he's such a literary person That translating it, all the changes to translate it to a visual medium, I don't know that that would be something that interests him, but I would be interesting to see what his opinion on these movies was and all the changes if he'd be like the rabid Tolkien fans who hate every little difference, or if he would be more lenient and be like, oh, I can see why they did that. Or maybe this one thing he's like, well, I don't like it, but I kind of see what you did. It'd be interesting to see where he falls. Right.
0: Because in Tolkien's life, there was – some proposals to him for adaptation work, I believe, that he kind of shot down changes they want to make. And I, I'd be interested in reading some of those letters if they
2: exist.
1: Oh, I'm sure they do. I don't know if they, like, are published. Yeah, I'm sure they exist
2: but... somewhere, but whether we would have access to them or not would be another story. Because mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Tolkien has published a lot of his father's personal letters.
1: Right.
0: In various collections.
1: I did. They must have approached christopher tolkien when well, they, they, were making they the had to oh, yeah. yeah well i mean not just to, the for the rights and the blessing but like just as a um like a consultant or like
0: yeah they probably i would imagine that their researchers for the movie mm-hmm. like their their continuity person probably had some communication with the tolkien estate if there was anything else maybe not published or recently published or kind of hidden in mm-hmm. some of the things that were already done to like get into
2: right that's one of the parts of this movie that they don't have out there that they haven't talked as much about is more of the very very early stuff before they were even pitching it to studios like back when peter jackson was making the frighteners and they're like hey well what about this lord of the rings thing i want to know that a little bit of how they got from there to the actual uh pitching of the movie because we kind of know a bit about him trying to pitch it to mirror max and all this stuff and like when he finally landed at new line they're like well why don't you just do three movies we know kind of that bit of the story i want to know before that kind of what it was like how do you get from hey i wonder if anyone's done lord of the rings who has that to the actual like spinning the wheels and getting all the stuff in motion how you know that part of it is not really been told to be interesting to find out what kind of craziness would push you into doing a project of this magnitude (laughs)
1: i know i'd yeah. be interested to see the original two movie script for yeah. this um and you know they're probably yeah. guarded <laughs> yeah you or, thought there <laughs> were differences
2: in things cut out now cutting it down to two movies you can only imagine right yeah
1: man speaking okay. of
2: differences i like for the end of this minute that it's much more explicit than the book and even different from the book that it's actually Saruman throwing stuff at them on the mountain magically.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's yeah. like we're sort of leaning into that and he knows what there is going on because of his spies and he's going to start, you know, magically kind of trying to interfere with the fellowship. Whereas in the book it's sort kind of hinting well, do you think that maybe Sauron or Saruman is maybe was responsible for this. I don't know. It's not important. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, they've made it a lot more explicit. I kind of like that change. It's one of the things when people talk about these movies, a lot of times when changes come up, it's all negatively like, well, they changed this and I don't like it. Well, they made a lot of changes that some people don't even remember are changes and they're really good. Yeah, because right?
1: it just makes sense narratively because, I mean, they talk about it a lot early on when they're introducing Saruman. Like they need to make him a tangible threat throughout this movie as the agent of Sauron, but also uh, working on his own um, because he's he's a, he comes up again in Two yeah. Towers. So I like that they take a moment to establish not only the threat, but like the extent of his power too because we see we see a little bit of it when they're squaring off in Isengard and, and like Orthanc
2: yeah
0: they're just kind of telekinetically throwing each other right. around but
1: I mean it's one thing to kind of like use the force and you know force choke somebody but it's another thing entirely to be able to influence the weather like yeah hundreds of miles away potentially so I like That's that. such a
0: cool shot from the top of Orthanc which we'll get to next next week,
1: week yeah but i like that they yeah. took the moment to really cement that yeah it's Saruman. yeah he's evil and this is how he's doing it they, they definitely yeah.
2: got a little bit of a shortcut uh or mazier on them to cast christopher lee though
1: mm-hmm. cuz
2: he, he could just sit there and just stare at the camera and you would feel menace
1: <laughs> oh yeah
2: <laughs> yeah
0: he's just he's got such a menacing face
1: and and his voice too and yes. i mean you can- uh. The way he does so the you hide behind eyes. that
2: big, epic, angry beard too, and get his intense eyes, and it's it's pretty menacing. But you see him in other things; he can be as kind and warm as you know anybody else too. He's a very talented man. Okay. Yeah, yes. but it's kind of interesting very going back to watch a lot of the uh, Dracula movies that he was in after seeing Lord of the Rings. It's very – I don't know. It's a different yeah. – because I'd seen a couple of them before Lord of the Rings and didn't really think about it until then Lord of the Rings came out and I started digging into a few more of the past movies of a lot of the different cast and those were some of the ones that I went back mm-hmm. to go watch a bunch of the ones I hadn't seen. And it's like I see where a lot of this stuff came from. You, know, you see a lot of the things that he does there or just kind of the – Differences in playing a villain like Dracula versus Saruman, just see, like, okay, th- he had a bit of a range. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually really interested
0: in uh, watching some of his work as Sherlock Holmes.
1: Oh, yeah. Because he does a, f- a couple movies. Yeah, he's
0: done like two or three of them.
2: Leaves. I don't even know how many credits he has, but he's in a lot of things. Yeah.
0: He is in a lot of things. He has a lot of smaller parts and things. Yeah. Like a lot yeah. of smaller parts and
2: things. But man, uh, go. He's a very prolific yeah.
0: actor. Yes.
2: It, I wonder how hard it was for somebody of his age versus, say, Elijah Wood coming to a big production like this and dealing with all the crazy different you know, scale doubles, although he wouldn't have had to do with that. But green screen this yeah. or all these special effects where he hadn't maybe done as much of that. It's just kind of wonder where mm-hmm. their minds were at generationally was like someone who's way up there versus someone who's like still kind of a tiny little 18 year old baby. (laughs) Right. Right. My
0: understanding of kind of the, uh, some of the timeline as far as filming, just based on listening to them in the commentaries and the, the appendices on the DVDs is that they did the Ian Holm and, uh, Christopher Lee stuff pretty much as quickly as they could, because they were two like much older men than everybody else. And they're not up to the same kind of rigors as everybody else. Right.
1: Because the film schedule...
0: So they got a lot of their filming out of the also, way Also, their quickly. filming just yeah.
2: isn't quite as rigorous anyway, because, like, Bilbo isn't hanging off the sides of the mountains in this movie, so...
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of sad that Ian is not a part of the cast commentary.
1: Oh, yeah. It would have been really cool to hear him talk about Bilbo and... Yeah. Finagling with green screen and scale doubles. Especially
0: and- since Ian Holm could talk about, you know, the fact that he's played both Bilbo and Frodo because right. he's played Frodo in a radio adaptation.
1: Yeah, we should we should find that. I want
0: to yeah. find
2: that. <laughs> yeah. It would be very interesting. I really like the uh different model shots going back to that. Like this one and the one earlier where they dive off of the top of Orthanc down into the caverns are two of my favorite kind of just miniature mm-hmm. shots from this movie. But they got their they they got their money's worth out of those things. You see it all up there. Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I They're love-
2: real like show-off yeah. spots
0: for their oh, miniature yeah. work that's like that's what it feels like they're doing they're just like look well, I how think good the city is. is some uh, of it
2: because awesome. you know you know look how miniatures are used in a lot of you know movies previous to this one it's all set extension or a little thing here and it's not supposed to call attention to itself whereas this is just like all right we're gonna get right up in its grill we're gonna go two inches from it and dive down here do all this crazy stuff mm-hmm. that you see of uh, those same right. type of shots done all in CG they don't look as impressive whereas this they actually dove a camera down it and had to stitch it together um you know to make the magic work but it feels cooler and it feels more real it feels more like you really are diving off the top of this really tall tower down into the caverns or you're flying through here with all these birds because they did it with miniatures yeah yeah
0: one of the things I love about these these uh, diving or swooping shots through the Isengard tunnels is how the set itself feels alive, like it's moving. Right. And it's I not think,
1: like a static entity. And
0: that adds like a really like unnatural industrial quality to yeah.
2: these sets. Mm-hmm. Well, they did a really good job of putting all this different stuff in there, both like actually moving and then just gives the sense of movement with all the little like rickety bridges and things and then all the actual just different orcs in there hammering away in the background here that you see for a little bit as they go by. Right. It definitely feels a lot like a kind of beehive of activity, even though it did not look like a beehive, but, you know, maybe a lot more like a, a an ant swarm <laughs> or something, you know, except they happen to be orcs.
0: Yeah. And you can hear like orcish yelling and grunting and stuff going on around here. And you. the
1: hammers and... That's also reflected in the music.
2: And
0: the too. the Isengard theme. <laughs> which yeah, you is hear all the noises so from
2: that orc fight club that's going on just around the corner. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, I mean, every time an Urukai is born, he kills something. That's true. That would be my assumption based right. on. See, they, that's
2: one of the things from the extra long cut of this movie that they cut out is he. You kill someone, but then you have to go into the fighting ring, and then you have to fight somebody straight up. You know, not one of the little weaker orcs. No, you have to fight another Urukai, you know, like get all bloody and take like, they're all taking bets and stuff down.
1: yeah Great. oh man that's like messed like
2: first
0: roll <laughs> yeah. so good i uh I, I love uh i love isengard the isengard some of my, is some of my absolute favorite stuff in this first movie it's got some of
2: my favorite stuff from the second movie as well
0: oh yes oh the ants. I cannot wait to talk about <laughs> yeah, the ants at so, great length.
1: Uh, we've been trying to ask all of our guests um, if they could come back for another minute, either in this movie or uh, the next two, what they would be interested in talking about next.
2: If I can't do the cop out answer and say all of them,
1: because
2: <laughs> there are so many things that I having lived with this for so long being one of my favorite books growing up there's so many little moments and things that I love to death that they just mm-hmm. adapted on screen And so I'm, when I was seeing it in the theater I was just like really really neat seeing this stuff that I've only ever seen in my imagination come to life on screen it's just one of those things that I'm never going to forget Right. no matter how many times I've seen the movie since I don't know since we're talking about this, I would probably say the flooding of Isengard just because it's kind mm-hmm. of linked to what we're talking about now, but i love so many things about that. All the little different uh, vignettes of the Ents, you know, little moments of them kicking and work or putting themselves out in the water and the right. musical cue, the buildup <laughs> of my that favorite. musical cue to when they finally released the water is one of my favorite musical things from Two Towers.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, Yes. It's so good. No, that and that and putting himself out in the water after the flood is like my favorite background special effect in the whole trilogy, because it's such it's such a cute little moment just hidden in the background.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm on fire.
0: <laughs> dunk.
1: Get dunked, nerd. Like,
0: it's so good. It it. That, to me, that moment exemplifies more than most other moments in the trilogy, just how much attention to detail mm-hmm. these people spent. And it was like the awakening for me when I watched these movies for the first time, without the before I started watching the commentaries, like how much there is to see. Well,
2: yeah, especially yeah. some of the visual effects shots like that, where you're seeing a big wide area. They wanted to make sure that they put all sorts of stuff here, there, everywhere in the frame, so that no matter how many times you go back, you're always finding some little detail that you'd missed because uh, you get the sense from even hearing some of them talk about, you know, the work that they put in is they wanted to put all that in there because they knew they wouldn't get another shot at it. So they want to put as much as they possibly can and crab it as full of yeah. this awesome goodness that they get to work on as they could possibly do.
0: Yeah. yeah. And they had so much space to work with that, like, pretty much everyone that worked in on the special effects or animation or anything, like, they got to put their own mark somewhere in this movie. Mm-hmm which is really cool. And that must make them all feel like they really are like a part of a big project. Like they're really a part of it. If they get to have like an idea, like the guy's just like, Oh man, you know, it'd be cool if we get to see this and like dunk themselves well, out like the expressed throughout <laughs> like
2: A lot of the crew and you know, people as well as going back to watch the movies after you've either been told about uh, the different cameos or just seeing them in the different, you know, extra f- documentaries and stuff. And they go back re- and recognize their faces, be like, Oh, Hey, that's John Howe. That's Alan Lee. That's Peter Jackson's kid. That's Peter Jackson. Right. All the, they sprinkle them. So many of those in the movie, some of them you'd never even know, but you only know just because you saw that guy on the DVD here. You're like, Oh, Hey, I recognize him. So the fact that they actually get to be in the movie too, is another part of them. Just all being able to be a part of it. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I know, like, uh, I like watching for uh, Peter Jackson's cameo in each movie. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: but uh, thank you for joining us again today, Nathaniel. Yeah. It's been real fun this yeah, week. Thank yeah.
2: you very much for having me. It's been a blast. I love talking about Lord of the Rings. I wish I could do it all the time.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> well,
2: I got news for you.
0: I know. Right? <laughs> we, got under, we got like another seven months of this. Uh, so we're from the website, DuelingGenre.com, where you can find all kinds of other uh, podcasts to listen to in the Minute family and other types of podcasts about like Doctor Who and things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if Minute podcasts are your thing and you're looking for more of them, and there are many, many more of them.
1: Yeah, such as Princess Bride
0: Minute. Yeah, Princess Bride Minute. uh, They're just
1: getting started, so check them out.
0: Yeah. Uh, There's Goonies Minute, uh, Pirates Minute, if you want more Orlando Bloom.
1: (laughs) Always more Orlando Bloom.
0: Uh, And you can find... (laughs) You can find links to all of that on moviesbyminutes.com. I think there's around 30 or so on there right now, with more coming all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, As always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Uh, Once again, uh, thank you, Nathaniel, for joining us, and thank you, everyone, for listening.
1: Have a good weekend.
0: Bye.